Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. On this episode of Beyond the Bump, we chat to Rachel Bailey, who is a parenting specialist all the way in Virginia, and she has a master's in clinical psychology, a certification in positive discipline, and is a mother of two. Sophie and I got so much out of this chat with her. We talk about positive discipline techniques, dealing with tantrums, advice around screen time, how to nurture our children with anxiety or attachment and separation issues, and how to remain calm while parenting, and so much more. We hope you love this discussion as much as we did. So hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us today. We thought uh, you're a, what do you like to call yourself, a parenting specialist, a uh, Yes, parenting specialist is good. Absolutely. You're a parenting specialist and we thought what better time than now to get you on because definitely our parenting toolkit is being exhausted currently, I think we can all say. Um, So we thought let's get you on, give us some tips, maybe start with a bit of a fresh positive slate during these times. But first, how are you doing? I'm actually doing really well. Um, we're, we're, it's different, but we're actually doing well because of some of the tips I'm going to share with you today. Are you able to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am, uh, most importantly, first and foremost, a mom. I have two daughters who are seven and ten. And in addition to being a mom, my, my background is in clinical psychology. So I have my graduate degree in clinical psychology. And in the first part of my career, I actually worked directly with children and adolescents. So I was working with a lot of kids. I worked with kids with ADHD. I worked with a lot of kids with big behaviors and big emotions as a therapist. I was actually going into people's homes and helping with kids and teens who are, you know, having these big behaviors, big emotions. But then about four years into my career, five years, I realized that I was that parents didn't have enough support. There was a lot of support for kids and for teens, but I realized, okay, parents need to know what to do to handle the everyday situations. And at the time when I started this, which was a while ago now, there weren't that many people supporting parents. So Mm -hmm. I actually built this practice that I now have, which is meant to provide really practical tools for parents to raise kids who are responsible, who do what they're supposed to do, who are resilient, and who are confident. And so I do this by, you know, giving these tools to parents and also helping parents feel a little less stressed so they can actually implement those tools. Have you found your job is different now that you have your own children? Yes. Um, And especially because I have one child who tests me all the time. Like I have two (laughs) kids and it's very funny because one of them is a little bit easier to be honest. And if I just had her, I'd be like, what are you all talking about? Like, this is so easy. Mm. My other one. There's always one. Yes. (laughs) She's the one that allows me to really understand what parents are going through. So yeah, I think just having her really helps me. Um, be very non-judgmental. Like when I say, you know, don't get upset by that. I realize that what I'm asking is a lot. And I realize I'm not the best in the moment parent myself. So a lot of the strategies I teach are really meant to, if you're not a calm person, which I'm not, 
that's okay. This is how you get around it. And I think that's because I have kids. I think that's so great because I feel like so many of these things you talk about in theory and you go, oh, yeah, like that's so easy. And then in practice, obviously, it's different and you've got a guinea pig that you can trial your And I also think that everyone's um, situations are different. Like you've got people that have one child that is completely different to your other child and some parents can say oh it's a really it's been a really easy smooth transitioning raising this child whereas you could have a child with ADHD that you don't even know about yet and you're really struggling at home so I think it's really good that you can be here and support parents through these times and make them feel like they're not alone and they can get help to nurture their children. Absolutely. And I love that you said that because I think when we don't know what's normal, we we panic a lot more. And I really do want to help normalize some of these things that, yeah, it seems really bad and, it, and it's really hard and you don't need to worry as much as you're worrying. And I think parents really like to know, like you said, they're not alone and it's really, it's okay. We'll get through this. And that is my job is to help them find the tools to get through it, both for them and for their kids. Absolutely. And you're in Virginia, in Northern Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C., yes. Is there, you know, a difference between Virginia and New York at the moment? Because we just seem to be watching what's happening in New York on the news. So is it as intense as it is there? or? Well, the numbers are different, fortunately. The numbers are the worst in New York. But, our, you know, what we're allowed to do is pretty much the same, which is not much. We're not allowed to leave. We have very similar rules to what you have right now. We're not allowed to leave. We're... Only essentials are out of the house. So we're pretty much parenting at home, inside with our kids 24-7. Right. Well, we're hoping today we can reduce some parents' stress in this time by having a chat to you. We put a sticker out to see if there were any questions specifically people had for you to answer. So we might just um, start rolling out those and uh, finding all the answers to them (laughs) if we can. (laughs) I would love to. Let's do it. All right. So the biggest one that we get got asked about is tantrums and especially in toddlers. I have a two-year-old and a newborn. Jade has a one-year-old, a five and a six-year-old. Please tell us what what's the best thing to do when our child has a tantrum? Ooh, okay, so that is something that I could take just six-week class on, but <laughs> I'm going to try to make it brief. So if I give you a short answer, and then I'm going to explain a little bit more. The, the shortest answer is when your child is in the middle of a tantrum, That means that they are dysregulated, that they have more emotions than coping skills. They are flooded with all these emotions and and you're seeing all these emotions sort of coming out. And ultimately what parents need to do, believe it or not, and this is hard, but this is what works, is share your calm with your child. They don't have the ability to regulate their emotions effectively. And what's happening when they're in in the middle of a tantrum is, so this is where I have to give you a little bit of of background. So there is a part of our, the human brain that allows us to regulate our emotions and see that things are okay. It's not that big of a deal if the yellow cup is not available, the yellow cup's in the dishwasher, which is what <laughs> causes tantrums in little ones. The part of the brain that allows us to see that it's going to be okay is called the prefrontal cortex. It's this front part of the brain, like above our eyes. And the prefrontal cortex, first of all, does not fully develop till the mid-20s. So that's why you see such big tantrums in the, in the younger kids, that, that they don't have the part of the brain that allows them to regulate 
and realize that everything's going to be okay. Wait, it takes you until you're 20 years of age to stop having tantrums. That makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> we're normal. <laughs> but wouldn't you agree that there's some adults who are older than that that are still having Absolutely. tantrums? <clears throat> My husband, go on. Exactly. I love it. So this part of the brain that allows us to act mature and responsible doesn't develop. Now, that doesn't mean we can't ask them to stop tantruming, but what you need to know is that when they don't get their way or when they're really upset or when you say no, they um, they actually see any type of discomfort, like disappointment or frustration as a threat. And so because it's a threat, what happens is their brain turns on an alarm and that alarm is their fight or flight response. And the fight or flight response is not mature and it's not responsible. It can't regulate emotions or see the big picture. This is true of in anybody of any age. So what you're seeing are actually symptoms of their fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in those moments is that their brain is actually scanning the environment to say, is it safe out there? Can I calm down? Can I get out of this tantrum? Can I get out of this place? And when we are more upset at them and we get frustrated with their tantrums or we tell them to stop or we yell at them or we get frustrated, their brain is saying, oh, it's not safe yet. And they get more upset. Mm. So ultimately what calms down human beings is sensing that someone else is calm and safe. And a child, when they sense that you are okay and that you can handle their emotions, it actually calms them down. So usually the way we respond to tantrums makes things worse. What we ultimately need to do, and it's so funny that when we're not in the middle of it, it's pretty easy to to think this way. (laughs) We need to say, they're two, they're one, they're three. Of course, they're going to have tantrums. I don't need to get sucked in. I'm an adult. I can show them that things are okay and we're going to be able to get through this. But what we usually do is we get frustrated, we get sucked in, and then we make the situation worse. Does that make sense? And is it best to try and avoid the tantrums? Are they almost like a practiced thing that the more you have, the quicker you learn to self-regulate? You do not want to avoid them. I love how you describe that. Kids absolutely need to have disappointing and frustrating moments. And the way ultimately, one of my areas of expertise is in resilience. And I will tell you the way kids learn to become resilient or the, the way they build resilience is by experiencing frustration and disappointment and being supported through it. And when kids grow up being supported through their feelings, what they what their brain learns is it's okay to be disappointed, it's okay to be frustrated, and that builds their resilience. With the tantrums, if you're actually, would you send them to their room so they can have a breather and you can have a breather, and then when you've calmed down, you can actually go to them with a level head and then understand and, you know, simmer the whole, the whole situation? So absolutely, you need to do what you need to do to calm down first. But one of the things I help a lot of parents with is the mindset around a tantrum so you don't even get sucked in to begin with. Mm-hmm. But before, if you're not there yet, because this isn't easy, it's mm. not, I'm not pretending that it is. But before, if you're not there yet, absolutely do what you need to do to get to a good place yourself because you're going to need to support your child. Now, if you're in a good place, do you send your child to their room? Well, if that's what comforts them, that would, that's what you do. If they need to go to their room to calm down, Ultimately, what you're thinking is, what can I do in this moment to help my child um, release some of those emotions and realize that they're actually okay? And if we don't let them release them, it's funny, those emotions actually go back inside and they'll come out later in other behavior. Hmm. So we want them to release them. We just want them to release them in, in a way that, you know, we show them that they're safe and that hopefully they're not like destroying things or, or having these big, you know, hurting anything or anything like that or being mean. I think one of the big ones in this time 
is TV for toddlers and children, is it really that bad? Oh, thank you for asking me that. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that. It's one of the first things I'm talking about these days, especially now. Put your kids in front of the TV if you need to. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Positive. Yes, absolutely. I've been talking a lot about expectations on ourselves during this time. And one of the things that I have found is that we have, the, things have shifted Yet we have not shifted our expectations of ourselves. Mm. We haven't changed our expectations. If anything, we've created more expectations of ourselves. And we've said, not only am I going to do everything I was doing before, but I'm still going to make sure my kids aren't watching TV. I'm still going to make sure they have healthy meals. I'm still going to make sure that, you know, we're doing, it's too much. So what I've been talking about a lot is revising your expectations. So I'm going to tell you specifically around screens and TV is don't, if you were before saying, okay, my kids can have two hours a day. I would get rid of that. And what I would say is I'm going to make sure they're off of screens for two hours a day. Hmm. And I'm going to make sure those two hours a day, we're really spending time together if we can, if it's possible for us. I mean, I'm, every parent needs to have their own expectations. But instead of saying two hours a day only, just make sure that they're off for a certain amount of time. And it does not have to be a huge amount of time because you've got to get stuff done and you have to stay sane. And that is the best thing you can do for your kids right now. The number one thing I find hard with TV with my two-year-old is then when it ends, that's a really hard point. So I almost get to the point where I think, wow, it's so convenient when I need to get things done, but gosh, I can't be bothered dealing with the situation when I turn it off. Are there, do you have any tips around that? Yes. That is something I used to talk about all the time before. <laughs> so that's, that's a huge issue. I mean, everyone has always had that issue. So one of the things that I teach parents when I'm helping is the reason you have trouble with behavior, there are really two reasons. And one of the main ones you're, you're hitting on right now is that kids are actually missing some tools that prevent them from acting maturely. And one of them is they are, kids are wired for stimulation and engagement. It feels really good for them. And they have a hard time once they're engaged in something, they have a hard time transitioning to something mm -hmm. else, especially if that next thing is not engaging. So if you're asking to go from TV to like dinner, that's, you're basically setting them up for failure. <laughs> so here are my really practical tips. That's always my job is to give practical tips. Number one, if you can make the next thing somewhat engaging, especially for toddlers, your best tool for toddlers is to um, engage their brains or engage their body. So if you say, okay, we're getting off the TV. Hey, can you um, you know, it depends on the age of your child, but can you walk five feet with your tongue sticking out the whole time, like something new and engaging that will actually provide the stimulation that you're taking away. What a great or, idea. You know, just say something like, we're going to sing this, let's say this funny word five times really fast and, and laugh about it. So you're actually providing engagement. You're taking them from one engaging thing to the other engaging thing. It's like a mini distraction to the next chapter of, of your day. Well, it's so yes. true because I often go, okay, we're turning the TV off now and I want you to go play on your own in the playroom. And, of course, <laughs> now that you've described it, it's like it. it's like candy and then have some celery. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. That's, I love that metaphor, yeah, candy and then have some celery. Yeah. Now, I do want to give you one more tip because sometimes you can't do something engaging. And this is just another tip based on how their brains work. Let's say you do have to go to the dinner table and it's boring. What you can do realizing that they were engaged is you can say something like, hey, I noticed you were watching Daniel Tiger. And you can say to them, what was Daniel Tiger doing in that episode? And talk to them about it as you walk to the next activity because mm -hmm. that actually helps them transition more easily. 
than just like yanking them out of that world that feels really good. Yeah. That can help with transitions immensely as well. So tip number one was try to give them something engaging, which is, it is a distraction, but it's really just meeting a need. And if you can't give them something engaging, help them transition by talking about what they were just doing as you walk to the next thing. And that'll also help a lot. Yeah, that's great. That actually makes me feel comfortable, even though I'm not a toddler. Like that that, makes so much sense. I feel that that's what it's about. It's what you said before made me feel uh, more comfortable. The two hour thing, you've taken that pressure off yourself and not stressing about the fact that, yeah, they might go over that because we're all stuck at home. But if I can get two hours of them not on it, then I've done a really good job today. One of the biggest rules of, of parenting and parenting better is shifting your mindset as much as you can and, and relieving the pressure. I always say that I can teach parenting tools till I'm blue in the face. I can do it in my sleep at this point, but it actually comes down to how we are doing as parents, because if we're not in a good place, I can give you all the tools in the world, but you can't use them when you're stressed. Mm-hmm. So if we can just shift our expectations a little bit, not that we're going to let our kids in front of the TV all the time, but if we can make our expectations a little bit more realistic, we can actually be in a better place to give them what they need. And do you have any tips for encouraging children to be better independent players? Yes, absolutely. So this goes back to they are going to be able to play independently when they are engaged, when there's something engaging or novel or stimulating. Those are the three keys. I would have everyone write that down because that is your golden ticket with this age. Stimulation, engagement, or novelty. Any of those three things will work. So if you want them to play alone, what I would do, especially right now, you may have to get other things done and you want them to play alone. The best thing to do is start them in an activity that is stimulating or engaging. Start them playing. And then you can say something like, let's say you start them in Legos. Say, hey, I want you to build me three buildings. And when I come back, I want to see them. So so they're already engaged in it. They're still connected to you in a way because they know you're coming back. And then they're much more likely to play by themselves. But if you just say, hey, go play with Legos, they're, they're not mm. already engaged, so they're going to find something that engages them, and often that's you, and so they're going to keep coming back to you. And I do find that with, with my girls. They'll say, um, I'll say, go and do this, and they'll go, will, will you come? And I said, well, I can't right now because I'm working, but go do it, and then I will, and they're like, mm. And if I actually did say something specific for them to do, then they're encouraged. It's a, it is a really good handy tip. The other question I had for you was I'm finding um, I've got one in kindy and one in grade one, and they're very, very close. They're 16 months apart. But I find with siblings at the moment at home, they are constantly fighting and they are there with each other 24-7. I have been trying to separate them to do separate activities, but it's just not working. What advice do you give to parents with multiple children to stop these sibling um, wars? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So it depends. I'll tell you the, the most common reasons for sibling issues. Number one is... Um, the boredom piece, because they're wired for stimulation and novelty and engagement, if they don't have it, they're going to create it often by bothering their brother or sister. <laughs> so if they are not engaged in something, like that's why kids, you know, they're in the backseat of the car and everything's just going along and they start fighting. They're bored. they have nothing to do. And I am a big believer that we need to let kids be bored. You hear that all the time, let kids be bored. But the truth is kids aren't bored and, they, and saying, well, let me find something creative to do. They're bored and they're finding the easiest thing to do to create that stimulation, which is to bother a sibling. 
So the first thing you want to do is make sure that, like I said in the last um, you know, piece, if they are engaged in separate things, they're not going to go back to each other. But if the things they're doing are not engaging, they're going to go back to each other. So the only other thing I would say about siblings is the other reason they're very competitive is that they want to know that they matter. This is a human need to know we matter. And so when they are arguing and competing and comparing, that's actually their way of trying to show that they matter as much as their brother or sister. So let's say they're arguing like, you gave her a bigger piece of the cookie or you gave him a bigger piece of the cookie. What they're really saying is, I need to know that you like me as much as them. And so here's how I would respond to something like that. I would say something like, hey, are you telling me that you need a bigger piece of the cookie? Because I'm always going to make sure you have what you need. Ultimately, we want to point them back to showing them that we see them. So if you say, what do you need a bigger piece of the cookie? And they say, well, I want more than my brother. I would say, okay, if your brother weren't around, what would you want? Because I'm always going to make sure you get what you need. That prevents the fighting. It's when kids are are constantly looking at the other to see where they stand, that's when they fight more. So when you said, I'm trying to separate them, that's actually what they need. They need some separate time. If possible, it's not always possible. And on the topic of food, all I have heard is, I'm hungry. I'm Uh, hungry. I'm hungry. Surely if they only eat a certain amount at school, I have never, ever done more shopping in my life what my dishwasher <laughs> broke a few days ago and I was doing it's it's back up and running now don't worry don't feel too bad for me but the amount of toddler plates I was washing I was like how many meals did I serve up to her today is that from boredom is that from boredom though very likely yes because you know remember I said they're looking for stimulation and eating actually as long as it's you know stuff that's like carby or sugary that provides a dopamine hit that provides stimulation in their brain so when they're bored, that's going to give them a good feeling that they're seeking. I yeah. mean, I'm doing the exact same thing as well. <laughs> with all the, we had hot cross buns. With all my ISO baking. Yeah, we're doing the same thing as adults, yeah. Any tips for getting kids through parental relationship breakdown? Yeah. The, I mean, here's the thing about kids is that they're super resilient, very honestly. Um, what we need to do to build that resilience is just let them have their feelings And like I said, you know, when I was talking about tantrums, we support kids through feelings, they release their feelings, and they're absolutely fine. So if there's a situation, whether it's conflict, or even, you know, some negative energy, or it's the separation of a marriage or something, any of that can be dealt with. As long as we talk to kids, and we let them tell us what things are like for them, we listen to them, we we don't get sucked into their feelings, but we provide the strength to show them that we can handle their feelings, kids can get through anything. I, when I was in my training, my graduate level training, I worked with a lot of kids who have been through the worst traumas, way beyond a split in a relationship. And ultimately, when we help them process their feelings and have their feelings in a safe place, they can move on. Kids who struggle are the ones that hold everything in and then it comes out in their behavior and then we get mad at them for their behavior and you create these vicious cycles. And so absolutely, yeah. kids can get through anything. Right. And how do you know how much of the truth you should tell them? So, for example, with the pandemic right now, how do you know how much you should tell them? Great question. The first thing I would always ask if a child asks a question is, what do you already know? Hmm. And so you start where they are. And so they tell you what they know and you can, you know, you may want to build slightly upon that. You don't need to give them too much more than they already know. Or you could say, what are you worrying about? So you can actually assess how much to tell them based on where they are now. 
Um, I just also would say that I, I don't want parents to feel like you have to have all the answers because ultimately kids don't need the answers. You could say something like, you know what? I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that we're in this together. We'll get through it together and I will keep you safe. And there are a lot of adults working to keep you safe. And you didn't, you never answered their question necessarily. They just need to know that they're safe and that hmm. you, you are with them. That's it. I did actually ask my children their thoughts on um, the pandemic and the six-year-old said, oh, I'm not worried. And I said, why? And she said, because it's not really affecting me. And I said, but you're not seeing your friends. So is that not affecting you? She said, yes, but, you know, I'm not in the age bracket of really dying, so I'm not worried. And I said, okay, and what about you, Billy? And she's the five-year-old. And she said, I'm a little bit worried because people are dying um, and I don't want people to die. And it was very interesting to know, like, my two children that live in the same house have extremely different views on what's going on and and one is more vulnerable than the other one. So I think you're right. It's very important to ask these questions and see what they know and understand how you can help them individually um, deal with a time like this. I love everything you just said. I absolutely <laughs> agree. Yeah. And it is amazing that we, we have these children potentially with the same parents in the same environment and they are so different and you really do have to meet children where they are. Mm. Do you have any tips for really attached children, how parents can deal with that? And then on top of that, how to deal with it when we go back to the normal way of living after this, when our kids are so used to being just with us? Yeah. So um, it depends on the age of the attached children, but ultimately what we need to do when children are really attached is give them ways to cope when we leave. So let's say they're attached. They don't want you to leave when they have to go to bed. We need to teach them ways actually to calm themselves down because ultimately you're going to have to leave and you can slowly do this. Whether you're talking about school drop off, eventually when we all go back to school, you're talking about bedtime, you're eventually going to have to leave them. So you just slowly increase the amount of time that it takes to leave them. But before you do that, you teach them how to soothe themselves. You teach them how to comfort themselves. So if it's bedtime, you can talk to your child and say, okay, I am going to leave you tonight to go do the laundry and then I'll come back. But while I'm going to get the laundry, I want you to practice calming yourself down and give them a strategy, whether it's they hug their stuffed animals, they wrap their blanket around themselves really tightly. Maybe they sing a song in their head that calms them down. So you give them a strategy and you allow them to practice that strategy for longer and longer periods of time. And ultimately that actually helps them learn to depend on themselves. So that's, that's what we want to teach them is the tools to learn to soothe themselves as we leave and they realize they can depend on themselves and it reduces their worries a lot. And what about the kids that are too young to maybe do those practices? So the kids that are too young to do those practices, you're still going to take a little bit longer. You're always going to come back. You're always going to soothe them. But I would just take a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And so they see that you can be away and they're going to be okay and you will come back. Well, essentially, that's like having a baby in a cot and you're sleep training them, isn't it? Like you have their little comforter and they have to learn to self-soothe and self-settle and then you will always come back and check on them and it's just, you know, you get to another age bracket and you've got to do something and change it slightly and then another age bracket, it's just this never-ending learning period for everybody. You got it. Well, I, exactly I, I guess it just shows... I guess it just shows all all people want to feel safe and secure and, as you said, know that their needs are met. warranted and met. So, 
How do you? One hundred percent. That's ultimately what bad, what negative behaviors is a symptom of. That's all it is. It's a symptom that we're either missing a school or one of our emotional needs has not been met. That is it. That's a hundred percent of negative behavior right there. How do you nurture your child's own anxiety? Do you have any advice or tips on on anxiety? Anxiety is actually really similar to the kids who don't want to separate. Usually the reason they don't want to separate is because they can't, they don't believe in themselves enough. You have become their anxiety soother. So what we do with anxious kids, and that's one of the work with a lot of parents of anxious kids, is we actually teach kids a couple of things depending on their age. We always teach them how to soothe themselves, like I was talking about. As they get a little bit older, I would say six, seven years old, we can also teach them the connection between their thoughts and their worries. Because our, it's actually, our thoughts are what create anxiety. That is it. It's, there's no, um, that, that's really what leads to our feelings. It's how we're thinking about things, how we're perceiving things. So we can start to teach, you know, a six-year-old, if you think that, um, if you say to yourself, I don't want to be alone in the dark because bad things could happen, how does that make you feel? That makes you feel afraid. But if you say to yourself, I can handle this. I have my lovely right here to squeeze. I will be safe. You're no longer afraid. So we start to teach them to manage their mind as well as calm themselves down. Brilliant. I've only, it's taken me 32 years to actually understand how to deal with my own anxiety. So yeah, it definitely takes time and patience, but that's a, a really good way to, to deal with the children's side of things. We said before that the best way to deal with tantrums is to remain calm yourself. Do you have some tips on how to remain calm? A hundred percent. Yes. So this is not my strength personally, so it's not something that I'm so great at. So I work on this all the time. Good. That's one of the good. things that I say is um, to stay calm in the moment. I'm going to give you a, an in the moment tip and then I'm going to give you more of a proactive tip because I'm a big believer that in the moment parenting, I have a podcast as well. And I talk about this all the time on my podcast. In the moment parenting is inefficient. What's your but podcast we, called? It's called Your Parenting Long Game. Cool. Yeah, and I talk about that a lot in there. So one of the things to stay calm in the moment, ideally, what you're doing is you're telling your brain that this isn't the end of the world. It's like I was just talking about with managing your mind. If you say, my child is two, two-year-olds have tantrums, this is not that big of a deal, you actually don't get upset. Ideally, you're, I call this your story. The story you tell yourself about a situation, 100%, determines how upset you're going to get you, how calm you're going to be in the moment. But it's very hard to stay calm in the moment and to tell your brain that because it's wired to see threats. So one of the biggest tips I give parents is to come up with a plan ahead of time for how you're going to handle it. And it's a very simple state, a simple sentence that I teach. When my child has a tantrum, I will blank. And you fill in the blank and you just have a plan. So it could be when my child tantrums, I will count backwards from 10. When my child tantrums, I will just shut my mouth and squeeze my hands. When my child tantrums, I will use some gratitude or say a mantra. Just come up with something ahead of time and then in the moment just do it. Because then you don't have to rely on trying to change your mindset in the moment. That's the easiest thing. But I will also say, lastly on this, that when if we are have a lot of stress in our lives in general, this is going to be much harder. So a lot of the work I do with parents is on saying, how are you doing as a human being? Because like I said earlier, I can give you all the tips and tools in the world, but if you have trouble staying calm all the time, there's something going on for you and we need to address that because that's really, 
when, when our brain senses danger in general, we will not be able to stay calm in the moment when our kids are tantrum. Yeah, and with parents during this time, especially I speak for myself right now, I feel like because we are home with our children 24-7, when when a tantrum does occur or, you know, you're asked for the millionth time to make a food or drink, it's like a tantrum happens and you think to yourself, this is something else I have to do deal with now like you are constantly dealing with and if you've got more than one child it is it is manic in the house from the moment you wake up until the moment they go to bed and mentally that's exhausting so I find it very hard when you're not being you don't have that time to switch off and have your own break that you're sitting there going you're having a tantrum in five minutes when you calm down I'm going to have to then deal with this as well as everything else and I know it sounds pretty I guess, harsh, but the reality is at the moment at home, it is harsh. And I know there's a lot of good times, like we all are together and we're healthy and we're doing the right thing, but my goodness, it's hard. I love talking to you guys. I love how real you are because yes, what you just said, I mean, what both of you are saying, that is real. I think you just epitomize what parents are going through right now. I think we have this if I'm glad we're together, I'm glad we're safe. And this is so darn hard mm. because you are, you don't have a break. And I said this earlier, right before we were recording, this is not how we're meant to parent. We are not meant to parent in isolation. We are not meant to parent inside. This is not healthy. This is not normal. So it is very hard. And I think we need to be real about that. I think there are some things that we can do. I mean, there are a lot of things that we can do that small changes can make a big difference, but I do think too, we, we are home 24 seven and we need even more boundaries than ever before. We're yeah. like, you know, we're home all the time. We don't have time for ourselves. This is especially when we need time for ourselves. Mm. And I hope a lot of families be really creative about how are you going to get those 20 minutes? It's not going to be two hours, be realistic. <laughs> but if you do not get 20 minutes, the resentment you are going to feel mm. towards your children is going to be huge and it could potentially damage your relationship. So I, I always talk about how resentment is a sign that your boundaries are not there almost a hundred percent of the time if you feel resentful. So we need to learn to, like I said earlier, lower expectations, plop your kids in front of the TV. If you find that you are so miserable and frustrated, plop them in front of the TV, set up a movie, go take time for yourself. It is as a, as a person whose expertise is in clinical psychology, I will tell you, it's better to do that than to walk around resentful and anxious and depressed. Mm -hmm. It really is. So give yourself a break. That's that's one simple thing that you can start to do. And I've noticed that when I, it's happened for about three weeks now, that I, but sometime in the afternoon, I get down on their level and I look them in the eyes and I say to them, I'm going to apologize to you for being so cranky today because I'm finding it really hard, this new transition. And I know you are too, and I know you're frustrated but we are both working together on this and we are trying to do the right thing, but I am going to get frustrated and I'm sorry for that. And then they're like, yeah, cool. But I felt better. My conscience felt way better. So I was like, like, okay, you get it. You get it. They're like, can you step to the side? You're in in the way of bluey. (laughs) But Sophie always says it takes a village to raise a family. And when the village isn't here, it is very fucking hard. Well, in modern civilization, we already don't parent as a village. Mm. And then this is just a whole nother ball I game. Mean, it's an isolation. That's what it's called. It's horrible. 
I could not agree with you more. And we have to remember that, you know, God willing, this is temporary and we, we need to get through this time. But that's why I think during this time specifically, we have to shift our expectations. We'll go back to them. I'm telling parents to make what I call a later list. Write down all the things later that you want to get back to, the screen time, boundaries, the, all that stuff. Write it down. You can address it later. Now, just get through because very honestly, we're going to remember this time. You know, we remember any time that's emotionally charged. And I, I'm saying to parents, what do you want to remember about this time? You're not going to remember how, how much they sat in front of the TV, but you are going to remember if you yelled at them all day and mm. if you presented them all day. You'll remember that. Mm. The TV and stuff like that, right now, it's not as big of an issue as you staying in a good mental space yourself yeah. and allowing them to do what needs to be done temporarily. So depending on ages, would you recommend waking up and having a really rough guideline of what to do? So like in the morning you have breakfast and then we're going to go, yep, we're going to play Lego. And then after that, we're going to have a little bit of a break and we're going to go run outside or we're going to go do something, you know, with exercise. What would you, what's your advice to, I guess, cope with day-to-day structuring? Yeah, structuring. That's a great question. And very honestly, it depends on the parent and the child. It depends on the family mm-hmm. because there are some parents who crave structure. And if they don't know what's on the calendar, they actually feel overwhelmed and uneasy. And so they need the structure. There are some parents where if I say create some structure, they're like, oh my gosh, I feel claustrophobic. And that's the last thing you want to feel right yeah. now. Literally <laughs> that so what I would say is think about what type of rhythm you generally have. And you can go be on one side where you're pretty structured and you know, maybe not to the minute or to the hour, but you know, generally this is how the day is going to go versus the other side where I'm just saying for people who do not like any structure, have what I call anchors in your day and just make it two or three things that are pretty similar every day. Lunchtime is the same time. Dinner time is the same time. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. Again, don't try to fit yourself into a mold right now because everyone's saying have structure, have structure. But if that makes you feel worse, it's not going to do you any good. Mm, yeah. So all your kids need is a few anchors. That's it. Amazing. And I like I like your terminology, it. anchors. Uh-huh. I guess just enough to like delineate between days. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. That is one thing I am suggesting too. If you can do it, is try to make like if you can at least the weekdays different from the weekend. Mm-hmm. Do something slightly different on the weekends, and then maybe if you can do something where Monday is X, X day, Tuesday, if you can. But if you can't. No additional pressure on parents allowed right now. Do None. something absolutely wild on the weekend. pressure, not add pressure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, timeouts and the naughty corner, are they recommended? From, from my perspective, no. Because, so here's, here's what I will say is timeouts as a form of punishment, I feel are not effective. Timeouts as a form of emotional regulation are extremely effective. I'm not a big believer in punishments for a couple of reasons, but before I tell you why, I will tell you I am a big believer that we have to be firm with our kids and that discipline is extremely important. Mm -hmm. I just teach teach a different type of discipline. The reason I don't find that punishments work is, number one, they tend to, what we think kids are thinking about when they're in the naughty corner, we think kids are thinking, oh, I don't like that I'm in this corner. I just hit my sister. I'm not going to hit my sister because I don't want to come back here. They're not thinking that. They're thinking mom or dad doesn't get me. I hate them. That's what they're thinking. The other reason I don't love punishments is because they don't teach kids how to do something different in the future. So if, you know, brother hit sister because sister got too close to his Legos, 
punishing him doesn't teach him what to do next time when his sister gets too close to the Legos. So he's going to do the same thing again. So the type of discipline that I teach is about being very firm with your kids, but about teaching them the tools to be successful. And part of that is sometimes teaching them how to regulate their emotions because when kids are not regulated, they do act quote unquote bad. So we teach them to regulate. So timeout as a regulation strategy, very effective. Timeout as a punishment strategy, not so effective. I feel like it works as a punishment for this specific thing that like when we do timeout with Poppy, the specific thing that she's done and maybe she won't do that again, but anything that's, you know, 1% either side different, she then doesn't understand, oh, okay, I'm also not meant to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I, I will also say that, how old is she? Two and a bit. Yeah, that it, you it's hard for kids to even say, I'm in the timeout corner, I shouldn't do that again. Mm. It's hard for them even, you'll get much, and, and I'm not saying don't do it, yeah. but you'll get much better results if you focus on why did she do that in the first place? Yeah. What So what would she mm. be putting in timeout for? That, that's a very good point because my my six-year-old was on a little call with her friend and Billy came and and kicked her in the stomach. And I was like, that is so not like her. Why did she actually do it? And then I actually found out, one, that she was teasing her on the phone and, two, she was bored. And really what I could have done is taken her away from that and given her an activity to do while her sister had her own time. And she would have been jealous that her sister was talking to her friends, but then, I guess. And she would. But I have said to her, when she gets off the phone, then yeah. you have your time. So there's a, you know, there's a balance there. With children and the emotional side with timeout, Billy is a very emotional being and she's five years old. The reasoning behind my timeouts are for her, as you said, to self-regulate again because in that time there is nothing that I can personally do to calm her down. So she needs to right. go and calm down herself and then come out. Is that okay? That's what I want you to think about. If we talked about what, we, what I mentioned with tantrums, when someone is dysregulated, they cannot they, – they, they are in the can't access the part of the brain that allows them to act positively. The part when we're in fight or flight, the positive, mature, responsible part of the brain is shut down. I don't know if you know that, but fight or flight shuts down any other part of the brain that it feels is unnecessary for survival. So it shuts down the mature, responsible part of the brain. So that's why we have to help them get back to that part of their brain. So when when they're um, like you said, when they're in fight or flight, nothing you say will help. The way I describe fight or flight is basically when we're in this place, I actually call it yuck. I talk about yuck a lot. When we're in yuck, which is basically fight or flight. Yuck follows like this rainbow shaped curve. So it people get more and more upset. They reach a peak and eventually it comes down. And here's what I say. When a human being of any age is on that curve, there's nothing you can do to make them feel better. Mm. Anything you say to your child or your spouse, this is marriage yes. too. Yes. Anything you say to someone when they're on that yuck curve will not go well. So your goal is not to cheer them up. Your goal is to let them what I call travel the curve. When they travel that curve and they can reaccess the part of their brain, their behavior all of a sudden becomes better. I can't wait to go so, home and tell my husband to travel my curve. <laughs> he might listen to that part. <laughs> it might sound a little bit interesting. That might be the only part he does listen to while on the curve. That's so good. That's hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. When when kids calm down, 
they do better. But when we're in fight or flight, we don't act positively. That's why when kids are tantruming, we have to help them regulate because when they travel the curve, now that you know that I can say more about tantrums, tantrums are they're on that curve. Mm. And if we try to stop them, then and even if they do stop, what happens is their feelings go right back inside of them. We have to let a child travel the curve. Their feelings are released. And all of a sudden they're the sweetest, kindest, most responsible children. I know. That's, that's it's just amazing. The switch, isn't it? That's incredible. I love that advice. At what age can kids start responding to discipline? So it depends on what the discipline is, actually. Remember, the way I teach discipline is actually about teaching, not about punishing. And we can start that from six months old. So let's say you have a child who's nine months old and they're throwing food off of the, <laughs> off of the um, high chair. And, you know, a parent said, oh, I have to punish them for that. The reason they're throwing food off of the high chair is because they're trying to find stimulation. What will happen if I do this? So the way we discipline a nine-month-old is to actually meet that need. If we see that they're throwing things and we say, I'm going to make a silly face at you, all of a sudden they'll stop throwing food. So when discipline Mm -hmm. is about teaching them, meeting their needs and teaching them tools, you can start that immediately. You're just not necessarily verbally, you know, saying you're just meeting their need without, you can even say, hey, I see you're looking for something to do because at nine months, they're actually learning language. Hey, I see you're looking for something to do. Let's make faces instead of throwing food. And then you make silly faces. They're stimulated. You've met that need. The behavior stops. So if you look at discipline the way I teach it, which is about teaching and giving, it's about meeting needs and giving tools. That's basically discipline to me. You start that as early as you'd like. And this applies to 18-year-olds too. It's the same stuff. I love you. can you can can you come isolate with one of us please yeah me me (laughs) (laughs) when you say teaching them because now I'm thinking about my two-year-old and the fact that we do do time out like say she does something repetitively that's naughty and we say if you do that one more time then we're gonna bitch slap you no um put you in time out so what would be a way to communicate to a two-year-old in another way? Great question. So what might, give me an example of what she's doing. Well, let me say this. She literally does many things a day and right now I'm like, I can't even think of one naughty thing she does. Of course, when you're not with her, you can. But I will say this and I will give you a minute to think. If she's doing it over and over, the message isn't I'm being bad. The message is I'm trying to get this need met. I'm trying to get it met. It still isn't met. It still isn't met. It still isn't met. And I don't know how to do it differently. That's why she's doing it over and over. And that's so, so true because it's normally. That need yeah. and she will stop the behavior. Yeah, and that's so true because it's often when I'm trying to do something else and I think that's, it normally is just a cry mm, for attention. Um, exactly right. Yeah. So here's what I would say is it's either, it's one of two things and it could be both, either connection or stimulation. Attention mm-hmm. can be one or the other. So there's solutions for both. Stimulation would be make sure she's engaged in something when you go do something else. Mm -hmm. And there's a website that I absolutely love. It is called um, Hands On As We Grow. And it gives lots of activities for two to five-year-olds. And you can even do this for younger than two-year-olds that they can do beside you while you're doing something else. So if what she needs is stimulation, you give her that stimulation. Like what I used to do with my kids is I'd have them take rubber bands and put them around a can while I was playing dinner, while I was making dinner, 
So, and then I would say to them, hey, how many rubber bands do you have? Can you count them? Amazing. And so they'd be stimulated while I was making dinner and I would still be able to make dinner. It's so, so simple. It's so simple yet so effective. Yeah, it's it's so simple, but it's not intuitive. So yeah. let's give ourselves a break because this is not the way we were raised. No. Out of any of us. We were not raised this way. But we just know so much more about brain development. And I was studying to be a neuropsychologist, so I actually know a lot about the brain. So what I teach is I teach parents to work with their kids' brain instead of against them. Yeah. Really, brains don't really. have certain tools and then when they when they have the tools and the needs are met, brains really do function much better. Amazing. So uh, tips when your partner or your parents have different partnering and parenting styles, which is a great question that came in. Partnering styles, I, parenting I, yeah, styles. Yeah, I, I read that wrong. You know what I mean. Can you tell us I, about our partner's style? <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, not a sexologist. Leave her alone. Really exciting this show. <laughs> um, so I get that question all the time. And here's what I will reassure parents by saying that if you parent differently, it's okay. A lot of parents worry. It's ideal to be consistent because it's easier, but what kids learn if parents parent differently is just who they can get away with what. <laughs> with. That's, that's what they learn. That's the truth. And it doesn't damage kids. They just learn. Um, so what I do say too, though, is if you're trying to get on the same page, and I teach classes in this, how to get on the same page. If you're trying to, the best way to communicate with your partner is to start in their world and assume that they are trying to do the best thing for your child and try to listen to them first. Because most of the time, all the time, pretty much, parents do want what's best for their kids. They just disagree on what that is. Mm. When you assume that your partner has your kid's best interest at heart and you listen to what they have to say, then they're more likely to listen to what you have to say and then you're much more likely to come up with a common ground that you are both okay with. So I always suggest starting in their world first. And would you suggest to be a little bit more mindful of when you, let's just give an example of dad saying, you, you need to do this and this. If I discouraged him by saying, no, don't do it like that in front of the child, I find that my child picks up or my children pick up that, I'm a more dominant parent and what I say is more important than him. So I have actually, um, during this parenting journey, tried hard to not overpower what my husband says because at the end of the day, he's a parent too, just as much as I am. So I, I have to be mindful of how I'm saying things because, you know, what I, what I am doing is just as right and wrong as what he's doing. And perhaps I need to have that discussion in a closed door without little ears listening to what I'm saying in front of them. If you, if that makes sense. That makes sense. And I agree with you. Mm. Absolutely. If you can support them in the moment, because the, if you undermine him, then they're going to think they can undermine him. Yeah. But if they see you supporting him, they're much more likely to listen to him. So you do this in a, at a separate time. And really, even if he's doing something you don't agree with, it's probably not the end of the world um, and you can talk about it yeah. later. Yeah. And I guess parenting for you would be so much easier if if the kids listen to both parents because, oh. you know, if you are in a partnership, uh, um, you know, and you aren't having to single parent, then it's a lot better to be able to rely on both parents than just one. Absolutely. And then you're not also fighting a battle on two fronts. Like you're fighting the spouse, you're fighting the kid. Like you don't yeah. have to feel like that. So if you feel like you're all – I feel like family should be about 
um, you know, being all on the same team. And that's one of the things I teach parents too. Like when you're trying to foster better behavior in your child, if you can make it you and your child against the problem rather than you against your child. And it's the same thing as your spouse. Like if it's you and your spouse against a problem, like the problem is, okay, we disagree on how to handle it when our child talks back to us. Let's be a team and figure out the solution to the problem rather than me against you. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. Isn't it funny that just, you know, a a few sentences and a few little tips can go such a long way in changing the dynamic of your household? hundred percent. And it's, it really does. It's also having the time to sit back and reflect on the behaviours because even sitting here now, especially with what's been happening the last month or so, you, you sometimes feel like you haven't even had the chance to catch a breath to even think, okay, if that situation happened again, what are ways that I could have dealt with that differently? I feel like now it's, you know, you're awake, you're dealing with it, you're asleep, you wake up, you're mm. dealing with it, you're asleep and there's no time to really... Process. I agree. And what makes it even more complicated, I 100% agree with what you just said. And then pile on top of that, that we default. So even if we kind of know the right thing to do, Mm. we default to old patterns so quickly. Mm. If we're not repeated constantly, if we don't hear it over and over and over, we just go right back to old patterns. Mm. So even if we had time to process, which we don't, then, you know, when, when we're in the moment, we just default right to old stuff. Luckily, we can all just look back on this podcast every time we feel like we can't remember and we can remember. <laughs> right. And we will be here for you. <laughs> have it on repeat, auto repeat. That's yeah. right. Yeah. The kids are going to be like, okay, we get it. Turn that thing off now. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Stop trying You're to. You're a good mom, I promise. Yeah. Just turn that off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do what you say. This is worse <laughs> than timeout. Um, and in saying that, we often. You know, there's the stereotypical way that grandparents parent their grandchildren. If they're looking after the children infrequently, just do we just let them do their thing, spoil them, give them chocolate? Yeah, I mean, if it's not directly undermining you in front, like if you said, uh, please don't do that, and the grandparent said, oh, yes, let them do that, that's a little bit different. Yeah. But anything else, yeah, I think, I think kids should have their own unique relationship with their grandparents. Yeah. That is not monitored by, by yes. us. Yes. So if you're not there, let them do their thing. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I know this is a big one that lots of people deal with, but kids that bite and hit other kids, yes. not necessarily siblings, um, any child, what's the best way to react to that or not react? So the reason kids bite, there are two reasons kids bite and hit. One is they're actually seeking stimulation. So if it seems like it's quote unquote out of the blue, I'll hear that a lot. That my child was fine and out of the blue, they bit someone. That is seeking stimulation. Um, Some kids are actually what we call sensory seeking. So they don't have enough input and they bite in order to get that input. So that's something almost a parent, if that sounds familiar to any parent listening, you almost want to, you want to talk to an occupational therapist about that because that is, um, you know, they need some more sensory input. There's some really simple things you can do about that. But sometimes it's more about what we were talking about before, that it's more emotionally based. Like a child, uh, you know, if uh, someone at school comes over and takes their toys, so they hit them or they bite them. That's an issue with they don't know how to regulate their emotions. So they get frustrated and they don't have different tools. So what we do with those kids is we teach them different tools. When they get frustrated, we teach them other ways to deal with their frustration. And we can teach kids, this is a 
a process that I teach. I'm going to go very simply. I, it takes me a little while to explain this, but very simply, if we teach kids how to identify and name their emotions, and then we teach them different ways to deal with their emotions, and we practice this between times of upset, kids can learn different ways to act. It's a process. It's like a few steps. But that's ultimately what we want to do is teach kids to identify their feelings, name their feelings, and realize when they feel, let's say, the angry alligators, if they're angry, instead of hitting, I will do something else. And then we practice that new strategy over. And it's like learning a new language. Mm. You have to practice it over and over and over and over. And then eventually they start to do the new thing. So you practice it even when they're not feeling angry. That's exactly right. when you practice it. Yeah. Because remember we were saying before that once they're angry, angry. or on that curve, yeah. there's nothing you can they're do. They're riding so you the rainbow. practice it ahead of time. Yeah. And I really do emphasize that it's like learning a new language. A lot of parents will say, well, I told them like 10 times this new <laughs> strategy. But learning a new language 10 times is not nearly enough and it really is a new language for their brains. And what about when they're, say, around 18 months and they can't necessarily comprehend all of that language you do the same thing but simplify it or you do the same thing but you're using action so if they hit instead then you um you know you either whatever you want them to do instead you show them and you have to do this even between times so um an 18 month old will understand language they can't speak yet but they Mm -hmm. absolutely understand a lot so you can say something like i'm really angry right now so i am going to and you show them Mm. and not during times, times of anger but you talk about it and you show them you can use stuffed animals and role play this for an 18 month old. So you're basically just, re- you're reviewing it as often as possible. And when you, if you can do this with an 18 month old, just imagine that's when their neural connections yeah. are forming. You're going to prevent so much negative behavior just because you're repeating it over and over. And that's, what's going to form. You don't, you won't have to undo as much as kids get older. We have to undo old behaviors. Yeah. So it's brilliant to start that. I love you. just quickly do you think there's any of your most frequently asked questions that we haven't discussed that you'd maybe like to end on the most often that i get we already addressed how do i get my kids to listen how do i do with the big emotions what if my spouse and i are not on the same page um those are all my biggest but one of the things we didn't talk about is um being firm Mm. with our kids if we want our kids to listen more I talked a lot about meeting their needs and giving them the tools, but if we are constantly preventing tantrums, that's why I love parents to know how to do with tantrums. If we're constantly giving in to our kids, let's say our kids ask us for food all day long, and we really don't want them to eat food all day long, but we also don't want to deal with their tantrums. If we keep giving in to them, guess what they're going to do? They're going to keep asking for food and asking for food. We're going to become resentful. We have to become comfortable setting boundaries and letting them travel that yuck curve. If you want your kids to listen, you have to be firm and become comfortable that they're going to be disappointed and frustrated at first, but it is such an amazing investment that they will stop asking for things over and over and over and over if they know you mean what you say. If you don't show them that, they're going to keep asking over and over. So that's my last bit of advice. You're literally describing my life. And letting them get upset. I think you're describing everyone's (laughs) life. I I will literally be doing something and they will say, can I have that Easter egg? And I'll say, no, can I have that Easter egg? And I'm like, you're not having the Easter egg. It's not a, can I have the, and after the 10th time, I'm like, go and get the Easter egg. But if I had have said, 
and being firm, you're right, like consistently with everything, then they probably would have gone, mum is never giving in to this and I've just got to give up. That is absolutely correct. I always say that consistency is one of the most overlooked discipline strategies. When, when they know that there's a potential for a possibility for a loophole, they will take it. Every child, and it's not because they're bad, it's because they're impulsive and self-centered. That's the way their brains are wired. <laughs> they want, they, they are, and some adults yes. still like that. <laughs> but they want what they want. And if they think there's a possibility that you will give in, they will keep pushing and pushing and pushing. If they know there's no possibility, there's no way around your wall, they'll stop looking for ways around your wall. But if they know there's a way that they're going to give in, I mean, they're, sorry, they're going to keep pushing until you give in. Oh, Rachel, thank you so much for thank you so coming much. on today and opening your toolbox. And I think we've taken all your tools now. Good. I'm so. sure she's got many more. more. But, but you know what? I'll, I can always come back sometime. We would love yeah, you to. Enough that was helpful. We, I think we will have an encore for you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be great to have our listeners tune into this episode and then hear what you're all about and then maybe send in some more questions that they would like from you um because I think you know we don't want to overwhelm people you start with the base start with this and then if people are finding that that's really working for them I'm sure they'll have heaps more questions and perhaps we can ask how those strategies are working for everyone if they're trying them at home yeah absolutely that sounds great Thank you so, so much and stay safe um, and stay calm. You've made me feel calm. Um, Thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a true joy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.